All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast, and we are back. We're in the Back to Baja series, and we have got another special guest for you guys. You guys may or may not have heard of this, you know, little organization, Score International or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. They've been doing some Baja races for a few years now and whatnot, but... No, no, no. I hope you guys detected the sarcasm in my voice. It is no other than Andy Kirker going to be on the phone with us today. And we're going to be talking about the Squirt International Baja Series. We've got the Baja 400 coming up. And then, of course, as they call it, the granddaddy of them all, the Baja 1000. A little bit different this year. Going to be running backwards, starting down in Cabo. La Paz, uh, La Paz and headed back to Ensenada, which is going to be interesting. Racers for the first time will be racing home instead of racing to the vacation destination. That is La Paz and Cabo San Lucas. This is starting to sound like a commercial. <laughs> so hope everybody's having a great morning so far. Sunday, 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 Sunday. So I'm absolutely looking forward to this got a few questions for him i mean he's been pushing we've this is not the first time that andy has been on the show he's been on the show previously and we were talking motos we're talking motos again this was when they were looking at doing the rally hybrid program and score international but the focus is now on growing the moto class and to some success we've talked to daniel velasquez carrera 777 have you guys heard that episode talk a little bit about what is going on and all of the changes that have been going down so today we'll be talking to andy kirker about some of the stuff that's been implemented some of the changes since we last had him on the show and what to look forward to and get a little bit of a preview for the next upcoming races all right so that is enough talk that is enough of an intro let's talk to andy kirker let's see if we can get him on the phone here in just a second start turning down the party make sure we got them on here and all right let's dial this up yeah we are gonna call him and there it is hey bud andy <laughs> what's going on sir yeah uh, you know <laughs> another day at the office yeah um I had a bout of something going on, and um, we went camping last weekend, and we thought of altitude sickness, but it turned out just to be a stomach bug, and so I had pretty much got it taken care of yesterday, but it's kind of set me back for a, a bit. Oh, it's, a, it, it's testing the systems. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, well, I mean, hopefully you're on the men's, and everything is uh, feeling a little better, at least. For sure. Very nice. So let's talk motos. Score International Moto Program. Last time I was doing the intro and I was saying, well, last time we had you on the show, we were talking about a kind of a different program that was going on. We were trying to do some rally hybrid stuff. Uh, but now yeah. the focus is motos, bringing back the motos and just focusing on growing the class. How's that been going? That's been going good. Are we live right now? Or I just wasn't sure. We are. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been going great. Um you know, we started this campaign probably two years ago um, when the numbers were, were down pretty far and, you know, had meetings with SCORE and said, look, you know, we, you know, we got to make some changes. Um, these are some of the things I see happening. These are some of the opinions I get from people. Um, and uh, there was three areas of concern that seemed to be kind of a common theme. And 
Um, uh, Score has been, you know, very open-minded and and listening and uh, willing to make changes, and they did. And so now we're seeing increases in entries and uh, good things happening for the sport. Uh, attitudes of the riders are are improving drastically. Uh, the quality of racing is improving. Quality of competition is improving. Uh, safety is a you know, main thing that's improved drastically. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of good things. Yeah, that's actually um, it, 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 for me. I mean, it's always been like one of the most important things, right? Anything racing and and safety related. Uh, you know, we the previous episode we talked to Daniel Velasquez, and we were talking even something as simple about the the blue dust light now that they're running on the bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Catch me up on some of the other stuff that you guys have done. I mean, I know you know I know you're up in the helicopter. You're keeping an eye on the guys. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. Right. Well, again, when we started this campaign, there was three areas of concern. Um, it was uh, safety was one of them. Uh, exposure, magazine exposure for sponsors, et cetera, was another one. And um, uh, you know, reward, like uh, how much reward you get for uh, you know, prize money or, or, or recognition. Um, so safety was the first thing that needed to be addressed. And um you know, I brought those some concerns uh, to score. Score answered that immediately with the uh, helicopter for the motos mainly. We have two helicopters in the air uh, for the race. Uh, one is a larger evac helicopter, and mine's a small spotter helicopter. With, and I carry an EMT with me. Actually, he's better than EMT. He's a, he's a full-on surgeon um, uh, as a first responder. Um, but when we're not responding to an incident, we're out there um, trying to to lead or, or clear the path on the course and, and warn spectators that the race is coming through, try and scare cattle off the off the uh, the course, uh, coyotes, horses. We run into farmers coming the wrong way on the course, uh, all kinds of things that happen in, in Baja racing that we try to mitigate as much as we can. Yeah, a very. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a very very important. Uh, aspect of it, especially with these guys on a bike. I mean, we, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple other racers and, and there's something very unique. You know, we, uh, I was just talking to, uh, Jason Olosi and about something as simple as like a rock in the sand, you know, something that in a truck, in a car, you know, you hit it and you bent a wheel, you, you had a, Ooh, that's going to hurt. But that was the extent of it, you know, <laughs> uh, on a bike, they're not that lucky. No, I mean that's that's part of the part of the whole thing. You know, I've, I've been a, a Baja racer and moto racer, you know, most all my life and over a fifty year span of my career. And it's always been dangerous. It's always been a skill that we that we acquire. That that you know we're you know we're the badasses of the desert. People recognize what we go through, and that's um, what I want to bring to the mainstream media and and social media and everything is to to get the recognition for what the bike guys do anybody uh, you know it feels like to me like anybody can get behind a wheel and strap in and and survive baja but to do it on a motorcycle you you know you're putting your life on the line Mm -hmm. and you know we're busy every mile there's ten thousand things that can kill you along the way so we're laser focused every inch of the way on a motorcycle you're, you know, that, that was a, you know, you're, you're intimately familiarized with every foot of that race course. 
at any given time. I mean, by the time you're done pre-running, right? Some of these guys are spending week, you know, a week down there or more doing laps. So just, oh, yeah. And, um, you know, my, my methodology for pre-running used to be, um, run my section at least four to six times. Um, it's not quite as necessary anymore because of, um, you know, the VCPs of, uh, program has tightened everybody up. And so looking for advantages that you really can't take advantage of anymore isn't part of the pre-running like it used to be as much. But as far as the danger part goes, we used to pre-run. I would, I would go my first run just to get familiar with it. And, and I would look for things that could kill me in the dust. I would, that would be my first pass. And I'd take notes of major washouts or major uh, boulders or something that if I was in the dust trying to make a pass that I have to really be aware here because if I hit this, I will die. So those are the kind of things I, I kind of take mental notes along the first pass. Second pass, you start um, looking for lines and, and places that you can pass. Third pass, you hit it at a little bit higher speed and, and uh, you know, check your marks, you know, your notes and making sure that you remember these things as you come up on them and, you know, all your BCPs and that. Fourth one is like to prove your, 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 your strategy is working. And I don't know, that was my methodology. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, and it's a lot of homework that, you know, that has to be done, but you know, you want to be competitive. Actually, you want to be safe and then you want to be competitive at the same time. I mean, they're close, but you know, obviously the safe part is the the big one there. Yeah, it's that's the balance. That's tricky balance. It's hard to uh, articulate that to especially newcomers that um you know how fast to race and still be safe. Um I mean it is one of the most dangerous sports in the world uh, racing down there. There's no doubt. And but at the same time, um you know, climbing Mount Everest is one of the most dangerous mountains to climb, but people are lining up to do it because they want to conquer it and so that's what we do we're men we or women but we want to conquer something and 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 you're really not living until you really you're pushing yourself and so we push ourselves pretty hard in baja and it's it's um, really rewarding when you finish yeah it well and it's the 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 new challenge right for some people it's the dakar for some people it's the baja 1000 i mean that's pretty much if you're into motorsport it's kind of like off-road motorsport that that's really all you get you know, is the as bucket list items. Um, obviously, five hundred. There's there's a process to getting to the thousand too. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting that there's there's different processes, there's different stories, there's different um, uh, motivations. And you have, as we've seen in the movies, like, like Dust for Glory and uh, or um, Keep the Bike Moving. There's been um, uh, different caliber of riders or or motivation there's guys that are top pro teams that are trying to win it overall and then there's the guys that just like you said checking off their their list that want to just say they finished and or just challenge themselves because you know like for the for the thousand coming up in in november it's going to be at least you know pretty close around 1200 miles long so even after you've covered a thousand miles, it's still 200 miles. It's just like a bigger than most races, you know? <laughs> so to push yourself that long, um, especially in that kind of terrain, uh, you know, you've definitely accomplished something. I mean, you are going to hurt for months afterwards. You know, those subtle reminders, you know, the, <laughs> when you go to pick up the bike, you may not want to ride uh, the bike for a few weeks, you know? <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, I, 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 uh, Ironman, uh, the 500 once when I was young, um, 
but back then you you, know, you you could ride forever and whatever. So I could, you know, it'd be it'd be a tough challenge nowadays for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's I I don't know how you guys do it, and especially you know, yeah, the Iron Man side of things, the the Iron Man side of the house, um, it just even if it's short sections, but still doing multiple sections and at speed, you know, you can't. Well, I you know, I feel like there's two, uh, you know, there's kind of like two groups in this, right? There's the guys that are down there to win the class, and then there's the guys mm-hmm. that are down there to to basically cross cross the finish line. Yeah, yeah. We- you know, they're, they're, uh, affectionately known as bucket listers, bucket listers. There we go. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, obviously it is. And then, you know, like we said, the, the thousand, but this, this actually, I mean, I, you know, we're doing the back to Baja series and talking to, to, you know, some of the racers and stuff like that. This actually seems like a good spot to ask this question is the new guys, the guys that are coming into this, you know, you've got a ton of experience racing and then you've crossed the line and are over on the organization side of it. Tell me what the new guys should know. What, what's your advice to these guys? Two things um, that come to mind immediately. One is read everything that SCORE puts out on their website. There's a lot of data there. A lot of questions get asked, but that information's there. Um, read the data, learn the rules, learn the procedures. And I mean, actually, that's good advice for anybody that's racing Baja. Because it, a lot of these questions just keep coming up. It's like, you know, read the fine print. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing, most important, is there is a lot of veteran racers out there. A lot of us, we get hooked for life. Baja is so unique and so attractive because of its, its uniqueness and, its, and what, it, what we experience when we go race uh, down and score. Um, that we don't go away. We, you know, I've been doing it into my 60s. And there's a ton of Baja veterans out there that willing to help and share advice to, to people that are new to the sport. Um, I really suggest that take advantage of that. Um, put, go to the, go to the different uh, groups online and just say, Hey, I'm going to race for the first time. Anybody got any advice or, or can I tag along with your team or, uh, and people will, will embrace the newcomers uh, with open arms. It's a, it's a, it's a very, um, warm open group of people that the moto the moto society or the community is yeah yeah i mean I, I i definitely agree that the moto the moto guys right stick together but then just in general the off-road guys you know that the racers i mean it doesn't oftentimes it doesn't matter the class <clears throat> i feel so i think that yeah i agree um but there's so many isms that come with baja that they're learning to to race a score race it's i always tell people if you can survive the three of them without dying then you're on your way to a successful career but it's <laughs> it's it's um it's dangerous i mean you can't take it for granted you, you have to respect ball you have to respect the danger for sure um there could be a car coming backwards on a course at any time around uh, any blind corner it's um, that's where the helicopter comes in. That's where the, the pro teams, you know, they usually hire their own helicopters to spot for them so they can race wide open as much as possible and not have to have that layer of caution that you really have to, to have in Baja. But, you know, nothing's foolproof. No. Well, still a wild, uh, still a little bit of the Wild West. Still helicopters have to land every two hours for fuel. They have to respond to possibly respond to, to emergencies and they're not there all the time. So you got to have your own self-survival skills when you're racing 
and it becomes an art form to go fast at a and and survive. It's a it's a certain art form. It's um, knowing when to go fast and knowing when not to. Mm-hmm. And but that's stuff that as veterans we can try and pass on to the new people, and hopefully they listen and understand it enough to to not get hurt the first time up the bat. Yeah, I mean, and it's you know that was actually something that we were talking with uh, with Jason, and the that that show will be coming up after this one. But um, it was interesting, and, and we basically says is that Baja's very patient, you know, and and you might get away with some things now, but but it's waiting. I mean, there's there's something there. You just have to, you know, I guess it, it, it's on you. <laughs> it's easy to get overconfident and kind of let your guard down a little bit, you know, and. It'll, it'll bite you. I mean, a lot of people get bit in the last, you know, few miles because they're, they're complacent thing. Hey, I've done, I finished my section. I'm almost there killing it right now. And all of a sudden, wham, they're down. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? I have I've had friends that are doing rips to Cabo and they're coming into Cabo in the last sand wash. Like, yeah, we made it 1400 miles, hit a rock and broke a collarbone. well there's there's a statistic i think from the nhtsa that says that most of the accidents happen uh within a couple of miles of your house so (laughs) (laughs) you know and then then i remember um i think it was uh i don't know if you're familiar with the name i think it's don hats he would do uh he used to he's a famous and very prominent volkswagen engine builder and that was what we always said about pre-running, you know, so pre-running is you, you want to feel like you're driving home. You're not questioning where you're going to turn. You're not questioning any of it, which is kind of dangerous because at the same time, it's like what you're just saying. It's like, well, usually it's when you're almost there that the <laughs> that, that things go yeah. sideways. You, you just got to, you always got to pay attention on a motorcycle, racing a motorcycle off road. There's a lot of so many variables per mile and you just got it. You can't lose focus of that. Um, but you know, I, I really think it's that focus that we do that keeps us alive um, and vibrant. It keeps your mind really busy. It keeps your body really busy because you know, you know, on a motorcycle, you're using pretty much every muscle you have. You know, the, you know, holding back g-forces when you're braking, holding on when you're accelerating. Every time you land off a jump, it's a squat. Um, every time you're just pounding whoops, it's it's leg day you know it's like it's, it's a grind your body takes a beating and, and a workout and your mind is taking a beating and it's long time concentrating um and you're surviving because of those skills and again i think that sets us apart from the general public as far as you know, we're like warriors out there we just battled this this huge war against the baja and survived it you know and this makes you feel alive yeah, that's, you know, and, and that's something very interesting. I, I mean, I've talked about it on the adventure bike side of things, and I think you're right. It, there's such a focus that you're, that's it. That nothing else in the world exists, literally can't exist. No. And, and I mean, and that's just riding home. I can't imagine, you know, racing, right? You are literally trying to see how fast this bike will go in some of these sections. And you really, there's nothing else. Yeah, you forget work, you forget your family sometimes, you're, you're down there, but you are, you're surviving, you know, we don't, as a society, modern society, we don't get challenged uh, like that, um, and I think it's in our basic instincts to to fight for your life and, and to fight for survival, and I think this taps into that uh, certain way, I mean, we, 
we have lost you know, people along the way in, in this sport um, for different reasons, through accidents or or from the heat or you know what have you. It's 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 part of what we we take on in this challenge. But the key is to mitigate the any of those dangers mm-hmm. as much as possible. You know, preparation is is something that um, I have always always hammered to my teams. It's like you know. There's enough variables in Baja racing that we don't have control of, so there's no excuse for us to mess up on the stuff that we do have control of. Mm-hmm. In other words, our, our pit strategies or our survival um, preparations or uh, just different the planning, the logistics of Baja. That's one of the other things that I think a lot of people love about Baja racing is is the logistics and the planning because there's so much that goes into it, especially with a live clock, the running clock that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once the race is on, it's on, and and everything you do wrong, it, the clock is ticking. So um, the the planning and the logistics, all the stuff you can do in advance of the race, um, makes you a better racer and a better team. Um, again, there's no excuse for screwing that up, um, but stuff happens on the race. You, you know, you got to deal with it. You got to have an open mind and and adapt quickly to, to uh, changing conditions. Like. Yeah. Like wheels coming apart, motors messing up, uh, silt beds that weren't there three days before. Um, you know, people come um, on the course, spectators camped on what you thought was a line, and now it's not there. You just got to adapt. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. You know, a lot of decision making. I, you know, I, I feel like it. it I'm, I'm guessing it's going to expand to a lot of other aspects in life. It's like, okay, well, if I was able to negotiate this, I'm pretty sure I can negotiate my tough day at the office that the coffee machine wasn't, you know, wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, everybody- well, again, one thing that's really nice is that, you know, when you learn to compete in, in a, you know, say motorized sport, you know, you especially like a Baja race, you, you, you learn all about the preparation. You have uh, teammates, you have uh, pit crews and things, you have, you're dealing with people uh, they, so you always have that common denominator, the human factor. And, um, you know, those give you skills for, for business or for life. Um, when you learn how to compete and win, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have many championships under my belt in different, different categories, different classes, different types of racing. Um, I attribute that all to my original desert racing career of learning how to win um, you're able to com- carry that over in all aspects of life because we are being compared in everything we do. We're being compared to other humans. You know, it's not, I'm not being compared to a cheetah, how fast I can run. It's, it's, you're being compared to other humans, how fast you can run. So when you learn how to win against other humans at one sport, you can learn how to take those lessons learned and use it through the rest of your life. The, the preparation, the focus, I mean, there's, there's a lot of it to all it. of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think that that's been, uh, you know, you, you see the, the people that go down there and race and then where they take their careers after. And I mean, it's just, it's really crazy. I mean, even though, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it changes. Right. But we, we've seen, uh, you know, Honda and the, the factory level, like a factory, actual factory ride at these races, has been gone for some time, but I think that that might, you know, maybe coming back with, uh, you know, your efforts, the efforts of score international. Um, they, they seem to be, I, I have, I'm hopeful, have dialogue with, with different teams and, and factories. Um, the, the, the pendulum has swung is coming back. I've, I've, I'm confident that we're going to see factory efforts very soon. Um, there's, there's new players coming in, new sponsors are coming in, uh, 
you know, since we started this, we've pretty much doubled the entries from a couple of years ago, which we're not in any, we're not at my goal yet, but, um, we're, we're getting there. We're close to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, uh, when you can, I mean, when you look at any kind of a uh, drop in, in, or, or participation, there's also been a, a, a drop in participation worldwide in motorsports in general. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not just score. It's like everywhere, but certain organizations that I used to race with, for instance, like the uh, NGPC uh, series has grown and I've watched their efforts and um, they've been able to grow their sport um, and it's doable and we're doing it. So um, in spite of the economies or, or what have you, in spite of motorsports being down and, and there's also a different um, kind of a generational thing Uh sort of like skateboards kind of come and go, you know, as being popular or not. Um, you know, my generation, you know, we grew up with going out in the desert on a weekend and have over a thousand entries at a district race. Well, you don't see that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple hundred is probably a good number. Um, but you know, my generation, um, I watched our age, you know, as we got older, I watched our, our, um, age group classes in the forties and fifties and sixties kind of grow through the ranks like a bubble, so we were, I think, you know, looking at us, we were like the first American moto generation, um, and now we're aging out, but we watched us go through the ranks um, over the years. So in popularity, um, there's just not that many kids, you know, going to the motocross track anymore or like there used to be. Yeah. And, uh, so we're, we're battling that, but realistically, um, you know, other sports are, are growing, and then with what I think Roger's vision for the sport, um, which is ambitious and I love it. And he's, uh, trying to take advantage of technology and trying to, to bring Baja racing into the living room of everybody, um, similar to NASCAR, being able to where you can watch Baja 1000 live from different cameras, from different, uh, point of views from riders or, or, or race cars from trackside cameras, because with the with the with the the accessibility of Starlinks and satellite communications that we're having now, um, it's going to be a reality. This next season, it's going to actually this Ba One Thousand is going to be really big as far as the coverage and the exposure that um, racers are going to get on 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 the, the world media. I think that's you know that's a big one, right? I mean, the sponsors go where you know, the, where there's money, where there's exposure. I mean, that's just, that's just marketing. It's basic marketing, right? They need, they need eyeballs uh, on their stuff. And that was, you know, in talking to, to a lot of people, you know, with manufacturers and how manufacturers, you know, what, what was, what's the saying, you know, what, what wins on Sunday sells on Monday. Yeah, that was that's, a, right. that's right. You know, I think that was a conversation you and I had about that, that, you know, you, we want that back, but yeah, you got to get people, you have to get them in front of cameras, right? You have to, to bring right. the competition. So it's, well, I said, man, there's three things that people are concerned about and the safety one, um, uh, which we can talk in more detail, but it, yeah. yeah, that was our first priority. Um, get it as safe as possible. And I've been racing score off and on for over 50 years. And I can tell you right now, it is, it is more safe to race a score race today than it ever has been. 
Well, let's, you know, and that's, so that was something important that we talked that you, you mentioned already the, the helicopter being one right to help, you know, kind of chaperone the lead riders or riders along, along parts of the course. Uh, especially because a lot of the bike guys, I mean, this is, this is an, a very early morning proposition for them. Mm-hmm. So there may still be a little bit of blind time, but at the same time, it's very, it's still more of a controlled environment. It's local still at that area. But once they get out into the open desert, the helos are there. Um, the blue light, uh, what are some of the right. other, uh, the other stuff? Well, the blue light, let's, let's, let's take a couple of these things. First of all, the helicopters, um, for, for the audience to understand is that, um, helicopters are not allowed to fly at night in, in Mexico, mm-hmm. um, or any aircraft really, unless you're a commercial aircraft. Um, but, uh, so that's, a, that's an issue that we don't have eyes in the sky during the dark. Um, but during the daytime, um, the helicopters are there, um, we uh, have EMTs. We 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 communicate with other helicopters um, that are out that are chase helicopters. So, you know, we got we got eyes on the course um, quite often, but also um, there's times we don't. And so we're trying to to increase that coverage um, as the more factories come in, there'll be more helicopters out there. So that'll be good. Yeah. And and they're coming. Um, second, the blue light thing. That's a great story. The I happened to be watching a race coverage um, of the car, the, um, the, the the car rally. I think it was um, like two years ago. Anyways, uh, there was one blatant racer, race car driver that um, they showed on TV, kind of running over, a, you know, a rally bike, and the guy gets up limping, and and um, um, apparently that was his second time that he hit a bike um, in that race, and I'm like. Dude, and and he did. They didn't hardly even um, give him a penalty. First, they gave him like five hours or something, and then they gave him like fifteen minutes. And they reduced it because his sponsors bitched at at the car. And so I went back to score and said, "Did you see that?" And they're, yeah, we saw. You know, people sent us that cliff and stuff. And I go, "Tell me, we have a rule that you know you can't run over a motorcycle." And they go, "Well, not exactly. Go, Come on, we got to have a rule." And he goes, well, let's see, you know. And I go, well, we need a rule. And and then Abelardo, the race director, said, well, we do have this no nerfing rule that, like, for the class 11s and and what have you, and that's the blue light. And um, I go, well, let's do that. Let's put, let's change so the motos are on the, in that category, so that it's really obvious that that they are a moto from in the dust for one thing, and two is that you can't hit this person, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so that's where that spawned from. Um, so yeah, we switched everybody over to blue lights. Um, they actually do, I think, show up better in, in the, in the, in the dust at night for some reason. It's a little bit, uh, I guess maybe we're complacent with red lights because there are red lights are on every vehicle and, and brake lights in the city and what have you, but blue is pretty, you know, kind of catches your attention. But there's another thing that we didn't really think about, but came up when, after it had been implemented was um, in a dust situation or like a silt bed and a, and a rider may get separated from his bike and a car and a truck or something's coming and at speed and, and, you know, heaven forbid, but they have to make a choice of hitting one or the other. At least they know which one is a live person and which one's an inanimate object, you know, mm-hmm. so they can make, they, as, as if they have to make a choice, they can steer away from the blue blinking light. Yeah. That's uh, so. There's a safety. You know, it's 
it's safer. Yeah, and 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 actually, and I uh, I gotta say this is just to clarify, it's not that there was uh, you know somebody listening to current was like, wait a minute, you could nerf a bike. No, nobody ever wanted to nerf a bike. It's just you're we're visually connecting the dots now. Hey, blue light, you know, on anything means don't come near me, don't run up on me like you're gonna try and hit me. You know, or or nerf. I should say nerf. Right. It's it, not it, hit. It kinda let, it's let them know that it's a soft target. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I, I I have been passed a couple, you know, very very seldomly, but I have been passed by trophy trucks in my lifetime, and I actually got tagged by one slightly. And um, again, I, when I found out recently that there was not an actual rule in a, that I could find, anyways, mm-hmm. that said you can't. You know, there was no penalty for for coming in contact. A car coming in contact with a motorcycle, um, there wasn't just like a, it didn't seem like the penalty was there or severe enough. And so now they already had these other penalties in place with the blue light rule. And so now we automatically fall into that category. You're, you know, there's penalties now for if you come in contact with a blue light category. Cool. So good. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. Puts, and I, I remember, you know, I, well, I remember I was racing score back in the, in the South fish days, you know, and, and I always, <laughs> and, and I always knew that it was like the, what stuck in my head is that the car was responsible for the pass. So if it's car versus bike, the car is responsible for the pass. So you either go way wide or whatever it is, but if you hunt them down, or if you hit them or whatever it is, that's on you. You know, the, the only thing bad about yeah. the motorcycles, I, and I, I'm not going to say bad. The only thing, the consideration that a four wheel vehicle would have is that on a motorcycle, you're going to use all the course and then the 20, 40, 50 feet to the left and right of it. So you could inadvertently, you know, the 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 truck, the car, whatever's making the pass on the left 60 feet away. And next thing you know, they've got a bike crossing pads. Right. And so um, part of one of the things that SCORE and I have done to um, make the interface of cars and bikes uh, cleaner Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, trying to create better awareness, and we put out a video. Um, I'm going to actually, I'm, I'm going to work on maybe having a, uh, you know, a an updated video to make it even better. But the video is showing um, uh, passes of several inc- or several examples of what it looks like when a, a trophy truck is passing a bike, mm-hmm. and it educates um, riders. So they know what's going through the mind of a trophy truck driver who's probably winning overall at mm-hmm. the time coming up on, on what it looks like when you're donking along bucket listing and not really you know going fast and you're holding up a trophy truck. This is what it looks like from his point of view and how frustrating it must be and to please give them the respect of their own race and get out of their way. So, and also to acknowledge that, you know, they're there because one of the things you can, that's apparent in the video that we created is that, um, and this is something that I educate the trophy truck drivers about is that we don't know you're there when you think we do, you know, even though there's a push to pass button, we're not looking at our handlebars. We're trying to survive the desert. We're looking far forward and we have a helmet on and sometimes earplugs and we don't hear the Stella going off if you're pushing the push to pass button. So recognize that, that the sign that the difference between when a bike knows you're there when he's not. So there's a great example of a quad, for instance, in this video where he's going along around the Mike Sky Ranch area and he's, this, this trophy truck is on him, on him. And you think, why isn't this guy moving over? 
finally the guy kind of looks over his shoulder and, and kind of startled, raises his hand like, oh, wow, I, wow, I didn't know you were there, you know, and, and pulls over immediately. So I, I use that video to educate both sides, you know, what it's like from the moto point of view that, you know, to, make, to understand that we don't know you're there a lot of the times, even though it looks like you should be obvious. Mm-hmm. And then I also educate the bike guys on, on what it's like from the trophy truck's point of view, how, you know, frustrating and, and to give them a wide berth and let them get through safely. Yeah. And of course, stay off the side of the course until the dust clears, because when there's one, there's more. There's mm-hmm. another one coming. Yeah. You usually can throw a blanket over the, the front, the front runners, especially in that class. I mean, I feel, yeah. you know, what, what they have no, I mean, they're unlimited, but it's, they might as well be limited with how competitive that class is and how like one on top of the other they could be. Oh, very. Yeah. And some, some of the other things that we've done as far as, um, trying to make it safer when, when, in regards to the trucks and the, uh, inter, or the interface between trucks and the bikes. Um, we analyze the start times. We try and, and a lot of times people complain about the early morning start time, but those really are safer for the bikes um, getting out of town because the more we can spread um, the gap between the bikes and the cars, the safer it's going to be. It's going to take them longer to catch up to the, to the slower bikes. But also, getting out of town in the middle of the night or you know early morning darkness, you don't have all the drunk spectators out there like you do in the afternoon or mornings. Mm-hmm. You don't have. Uh, you can see with the headlights. You can see if there's vehicles coming the other way um, in the night, and it's just a little bit safer um, getting out of town um, when we do that. But so we analyze the the spread a lot of times, you know, and and try and. Um, you know, give it the gap between the start of the bikes and the start of the cars uh, as much as it makes sense. And then um, something unique in the last couple of years that the race director has been incorporating in some of the races is is having alternate courses for the bikes, um, and especially in the later part of the course. San Felipe 250 is a great example of that where, where like, the last, I think, in the last race, the, um, the last 80 miles was uh, a separate bike course to the finish practically and it was it it's well received by um, all classes yeah yeah because i mean you don't you know obviously the trophy trucks are going for the win and then the bikes mm-hmm. are are looking to make it home so I, I i think that's really cool you know having a completely separate thing and i could absolutely see that because you know if they're going to be pushing right it's going to be the last few miles that's where every second is going to count the most and and patience is going to be a little less, uh, the, <laughs> the, fu- the fuse is going to be a little shorter, <laughs> you know, so that, that's actually really cool. I did not know that you guys were doing that. That's, I think that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, we've done it on the last two San Felipe's, the last 400. I don't think it's happening on this 400. Um, I could be wrong, but you know, course comes out, um, map should be coming out, um, in a few weeks anyways. Um, but, uh, we've been doing that. Uh, that helps. Um, and also, when we do do, do that, it, it kind of adds a, a little more um, fun to the course for the bikes because the, the cars aren't pre-running on that and tearing it up as much. And so it um, gives us a little more um, of a fun course to ride on. Yeah, a little bit of a break. And then I would imagine you guys could probably do some some a little maybe closer to single track stuff. You know, you're not worried about what, will a trophy truck we- fit. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite single track because the quads fit in that category, but it's close. Yeah. Um, for instance, at the the last San Felipe 250, they um, ran over a rough section called the Mini Summit, 
mm-hmm. uh, that at the end, at near the end of the, uh, I, mean, I should say, prior to the race starting, that that section got thrown out for um, all the classes because they were worried about bottlenecks and stuff, except for the moto classes. We were, you know, we were the ones that could get through there, and uh, I was actually pretty proud of that fact that, um, you know, we, I got to make that call, nice. and. Um, and so, yeah, the bikes are badass. We can do it. You know? Yeah, it was a little bit of a, a little bit across hard enduro in there in some of the sections. I know that uh, there was a few people that weren't weren't looking forward to it, but I think that that's you know, hey, it's a moto, it can do it. You know, well, not only that, but I mean, this is Baja racing. It's supposed to be hard, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Otherwise, it's not an accomplishment. I mean, anybody can can you know. Yeah. You know, ride in the parking lot. Listen, you know, this is rough Baja. Yeah. You know? And I mean, and you can trail ride it, but don't get frustrated because there's some people that probably breeze through that, you know, mini summit like it was another day at the park. And some people, yeah, are going to struggle. But that's just, you know, different skill sets. It's a different mentality. It's a different thing. And but, you know, how cool is it to be able to say, yeah, all these four wheel guys, you know, they were no, enjoying really their cool. Starbucks. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> but, um, you know, we were able to fly over that S section when the bikes would come through. I got some great footage from, uh, filming up there, which is something I try and take advantage of my position, uh, having the great seat that I, uh, viewing section that I have. Um, and I film when we're not responding or, you know, doing anything that takes my attention. I film, I try and film as much as possible for the bikes because any, any, uh, video of bikes racing in the desert is 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 gold i mean people mm-hmm. love seeing that and and so with the with the starlinks being available um we've been working on some things that um um uh, with the uh, our um our mototech uh, michael foxworthy uh whose real life job is is all about um satellite technology and what have you uh works for viasat mm-hmm he helped us to develop um, uh, an extended Wi-Fi system that allows me for, to connect to the ground stations from the air without having to land. And um, I'm able to get to a, 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 you know one of the star links that are, that are on our network and push videos so that for the live show. Nice. And I don't know if you saw the live show for the, for the last race, but... Um, you know, we had some setbacks, but I was able to um, near somewhere around nine o'clock in the afternoon or morning. I was able to push several videos to the live show, and they ran them and got to see bikes going through silt beds or or pounding whoops or doing the summit. I mean, it was beautiful footage, and so I try and take advantage of that to to help promote bike racing and Baja racing um, and, and and letting people see what we actually do out there because that's one of the things that's really never been. Or as a desert racer, you never get to 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 see desert racers racing. You know, it's always either a pit or the start or the finish. But to to see what they're they're doing their battles out in the middle of nowhere, uh, the whole Starling thing is letting us be able to see it now. Yeah, and not I mean, you know, and and that's a very interesting point because you're, uh, and 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 I definitely want to talk about this because you know we have I mean the listeners are worldwide, so there's a lot of listeners that you know maybe they've only heard of the Baja 1000 if they've heard of it. They don't know that there's three other races besides that. But it, what's interesting about what you're doing and what you're able to do with that is, I, you know, you and I have both raced and we know that there's pockets of spectators, right? They only get, well, then there's the occasional <laughs> person in the middle of nowhere that you have zero idea how they got out there. 
but they're out there. But for the most there's part, there's always that guy. Yeah, yeah. There's always that one, and you and and then you wonder, right? Does the okay do crowd rules apply? Like crowds don't hang out in places where it's flat. Like usually there's something there, you know, or they made something. There, something's going on there. There, it was well, easy yeah. to get to. The there's a jump, there's a hole, there's a something, right? They think that's going to be exciting, but what you're doing is sure. really cool, right? How many people, you know, could could see into this mini summit how many people got to see this battle taking place on some straightaway of whoops in the back where there is no spectators you know that's that's huge yeah regarding that mini summit i thought there was going to be a huge crowd there maybe there may have been more if the trophy trucks were going through but there was really nobody there i was really kind of surprised when we got there so um yeah being able to film that and, and bring it to the public is uh, I feel very um, fortunate to be able to have this uh, opportunity to do that. Yeah, I mean, that that's I, I think that's huge. And I think it follows along, you know, obviously it's square in the goal of what you're saying is like, OK, bring the attention to the moto guys again that it was because, I mean, I remember going to the contingency and all that stuff. It was it's like the class 11 guys. They walk a little funny, uh-huh. you know, the, the, what they carry there, <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, yeah. how do you even and the bike guys to me are the same. You know, I, I just view them in the same way. You know, it's like, dude, this is absolutely crazy what these guys do. And it's, you know, you, you talk to like, I've, I've had a lot of conversations or more conversations with like Colton Udall, people that will ride Mm -hmm. 600 miles at competitive pace, not trail riding pace, competitive pace and the stuff that they have to go to. When you say the word competitive pace for, for people who don't know what that means, that means going 50, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour through the nastiest stuff. And I mean, holy crap, Colton can go so fast through that stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. And for so long. <laughs> yeah, so that's long. what I mean. I mean, just, and, and hopefully, you know, I'm really, I'm very optimistic and I'm very excited to, to, for what's coming for the visual aspect of being able to see us do those things for long durations, you know, being able to have a great, coverage of bikes racing across the desert. Um, yeah. I mean, seeing techniques, seeing guys that navigate stuff, seeing passes happen, um, that you don't get to see it's all in, you know, in the older days, all you see is, um, a result comes out that, Oh, somebody went through checkpoint ahead of one, another guy, that one, what happened, you know, mm-hmm. um, now we can see that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the, that was the news, right? You were, you were kind of like BFG relay trying to kind of figure things out asking mm-hmm. weatherman, you know, I, I always remember that. It's like, dude, there's no way this guy is on the team, but he's posing as somebody on the team wanting to know where the truck is. And I'm like, oh. So yeah. And now also along with the Starlinks, we've got um, a live timing system that is not just a start and finish. It is, it's going to be something like at least 10 or more um, spots along the course. They're going to be live feeding, live updating all the time. Ooh, um, sector times. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, in the works now and, and being um, beta tested and should be, you know, really off and running for the thousand. Very nice. So, so let's actually, you know, I, I mentioned it a second ago, but let's talk about it. Right. Uh, score international. It's a four race series. Bikes race all four races. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct. So what do we, for the, for the people listening abroad, what do we got? What are the four races? Now, the first one is um, around March, April every year. It's called the San Felipe 250, um, which is on the east side of the peninsula, uh, a cool little town of San Felipe. is about 200 miles south of the border. Um, it's usually about a 
250, 300 mile loop. Um, very rugged, all desert terrain down there. Um, uh, a lot of people's favorite race of the series. Um, for me, it's just a little too short because um, I want more. <laughs> I want more of the race <laughs> of the weekend. It's like it starts for the bikes. It starts at 6 a.m. And, and it's over, like, I don't know, 11 or 12 or whatever it is. It's like, oh, darn, <laughs> it's over already. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's the first one. What's um, the, sorry to inter- interrupt you on that one, but what is the, what's the spot? I know San Felipe has got some, so what's that terrain? Like, you know, some, some memorable terrain pieces, some, you know, the like, what is it like Matomi wash or some of those washes where oh, you're running yeah, in the canyons? Yeah. There's, there's several landmarks, um, that people have come to, uh, learn and give them their own names and what have you. But, um, one of them, like I mentioned Matomi, you know, I always refer to as the mighty Matomi. It's a huge wash with lots of, um, Lots of history a race has gone through there. I raced in there in the 70s. Um, but it's, uh, that's one of them. That's usually the most southern wash that we do for the San Felipe 250. Uh, it's got high banks and areas. It's got a, a rock crawling section through it. Um, yeah, it, it's good. There's uh, what's referred to as Zoo Road, even though it, it's really not Zoo Road. It parallels a road that used to be called Zoo Road. Uh, I mean, it, it perpendicular, it crosses that road. But it's a pole line road that is new has notorious, vicious, uh, large whoop-de-doos in it. Um, that's the one you always see, like just people hanging on the, on the, on the, uh, uh, high tension wire, uh, towers, um, the spectators all over those are lining the course right there. That's zoo road, which is famous. Uh, the mini summits there, which is famous. Um, and just the, the terrain itself is just, it's true desert. It's, it's rugged. It, Every every bush or cactus has got thorns on it. Um, the the trails are alive. Be, yeah, <laughs> they jump. They jump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It. Yeah. It's. Um, you know, that's a myth of jumping choya, but there's you know you you come too close to one, you run over its root system, and it kind of kind of flings a, a, a little <laughs> pod at you, kind of like a boomerang or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, Here's your reminder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I think more jerseys and, and bloody arms are down there than anywhere. But um, <laughs> And it's usually pretty warm. Uh, it can be. Uh, we use it often in the other races, too. But um, in March and in April, it's not bad. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the town itself has got a, a malacan with restaurants all over it, and it's the whole town gets completely behind the race and it's amazing. Yeah. And it's standing um, room only in that town when the race comes to town. Oh my gosh. I got videos of, of you can't hardly even traverse from one end to the other without you just bumping shoulders, all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. All right, but, so- um, but the next race after that, um, is the Baja 500, which is the first weekend in June. And, um, recently, uh, that's usually and always out of, um, Ensenada on the west coast about 70 miles south of the border in, a, in one of the largest uh, towns in baja and uh i think ensenada is also named the safest town in mexico uh, i've read but um one of the things that's important to understand is that the san felipe 250 uh finishing position sets your starting position for the 500 so that's important so to it's know like when qualifying. you chase the championship so yeah, so San Felipe acts as qualifying start position for the 500, and the 500 and the, uh, this next race coming up, which is um, after the 500, is the 
The youngest race of, of, of the score series is called the Baja 400, again, out of Ensenada, a loop race. Um, it is set as a qualifying time. Uh, your finishing there sets you, sets you up for the 1,000, so it's really important to try and do well to, at this 400 so that you get a good starting position at the 1,000. Nice. And the Baja 1000 is typically always in the middle of November, um, and uh, this year is extra special uh, because normally there's two versions of the 1000. Um, every couple of years they do a point-to-point race from Ensenada all the way down to La Paz or, or Cabo. Um, and then a couple races in between that, those point-to-points, um, they're a loop race where it starts and ends in Ensenada, and it's mainly financial reasons because uh, it takes so much effort for the teams to, to do the point-to-point that um, we don't do it every year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this year happens to be um, a point-to-point one. Uh, 2023 is, is not only the 50th anniversary of SCORE, um, but it's they're celebrating it by reversing the, the course um, Instead of it starting in Ensenada, it's going to start in La Paz and finish in Ensenada. So it's unprecedented. Uh, it's really going to be interesting. It kind of throws your your um, your logbooks out the window as far as your strategies and what have you. you know? Yeah. Terrain, terrain changing. You know, the the terrain is going to be easier in the south of the peninsula, and then as you come home, you come home to the challenging stuff. And exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. I, that's kind of a cool decision. I, I, you know, I like that. You know, and, and you're I'm racing home. Forward to it. <laughs> and and to, for those that are going to the race to be in La Paz at the start on the Malacan, it's going to be really special. It's going to be good. Very nice. And so, uh, I mean, we know like the the Baja 500, the Baja 400, kind of share the Ensenada area, the Loop race, and all of that stuff. Where's the Where's the spots there? I mean, what what are the the memorable features or the terrain? You got you got some hot spots. <clears throat> Uh, there's some famous sections. Um, yeah, most of the racing I've done is on on, uh, on the northern part of Baja. So uh, you've got your start area. It goes out towards Ojos Negros, um, which is the middle of the peninsula. Um, so you're going over some kind of rutted, uh, you know, uh, ranch roads and, and different things that are not so whipped out, but more um, you know, hard packed, uh, rutted, uh, rocky stuff. Uh, then you get into some uh, one of my favorite sections between Ojos and, and uh, Valley T, which is um, I guess is the Santa Catarina area. There's a lot of different fun terrain through there. Um, a lot of there's the famous goat trail that that is a ramp road going down to, um, from a, a pretty rocky section uh, that that drops into the highway to get you uh, transitioned to uh, the valley to Trinidad. Mm-hmm. There's Mike Sky Ranch um, area, which is famous. I uh, uh, don't think we're going to be going all the way to Sky Ranch in the 400, but uh, head in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's what we call the Crossover Road, which I forget the, the real name of it, but it's a 30-mile uh, approximately fun, kind of well-used, um, but well-maintained dirt road that uh, connects the uh, West Coast back to the middle of the peninsula. Mm-hmm. We're going to be racing on that. Um, it's fun. Flat track around some flat corners and stuff. It's really fun. And then, of course, when we get on the beach area, which is really unique to Baja racing, uh, being able to go and, and race along uh, the coast um, 
to me, that's, that's really special. Yeah. What's going on, guys? Victor with the Chasing Waypoints podcast. All right. Are you looking to promote your brand to a worldwide audience on the podcast? Drop us a line at podcast at chasingwaypoints.com and let's talk. See what we can do about getting you some more ears for your company and getting the word out worldwide. I know you, when you start getting close, right, you start getting that seawater smell. Well, I think you sometimes, oh, depending yeah. on the wind, you get that on the crossover road. When you're up on the higher sections, you can kind of. Yeah, you might. You might. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're boys, but. But you do get the coastal fog uh, coming in on the crossover sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a section that um, also that from Santa Tomas, there's a restaurant called uh, Acambaro. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, owner, Juan, is really enthusiastic and, and a supporter of SCORE. Um, the course usually goes around, uh, to, towards his restaurant and, and leaves the highway and, and starts heading back towards Ojos Negros. That section between there and Ojos Negros, it's 35, 40 miles of all kinds of different terrain and you get a lot of bang for your buck to me it's always been a favorite challenging section so yeah yeah i love it all (laughs) (laughs) there's it's interesting right because i and that's why i kind of asked the question because everybody has like there's those little areas there's those little sections where it's just like you get into that flow and you're just a little more aggressive you're just enjoying that ride just a little bit more than you were the last section and i mean that's Oh yeah, I, I, and and the more you race it, the more you you know all these different areas and know that in uh, your pre-running and you're getting more familiar with it. That you know, if you're laboring, like say you're you're you're, you're it's hot, you're tired, and it's been a long day racing. Um, when you're during race day, though, you know the next it's like you're constantly in your mind going, "Oh wow, we're already here. I'm already here." Like, wow, that 50 miles went by fast because you're familiar with it. It's like your your road. It's like when you drive the same way to work every day and it's an hour long drive or something, it doesn't seem that long because you're so used to it. <laughs> exactly. It's you're, you know, you're just driving home, driving to work and that's, but yes, you know, speaking of that though, there, there's another section that just prior to coming into Santa Tomas and it's high speed, really fun, fast, um, uh, barbed wire lined, um, uh, farm road that goes, it's probably 15 miles of just fun, fast, flowy, uh, just wide open stuff. I love it. Yeah. That's, uh, before you get into Santo Tomas, the correct, that yeah, last section of the coast, leaving the coast, coming into to the middle back towards highway one is, mm-hmm. is just a blast. Everybody's ridden that area loves that section. Oh yeah. I, I got the opportunity to do that. It will be it on an adventure bike, but, uh, still, it was not this last rainy season. It was a couple of years ago after the rainy season. I'd never seen that area so green in my life and hero dirt. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, on an adventure bike, it didn't matter, but just so beautiful. I mean, clouds right on the covering part of the hills. The hill's really dark mm-hmm. and the clouds really dark, but everything just green. I mean, that's, I, I will never forget that. And that's, uh, that I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the section you're referring to. And man, yeah, some of Absolutely. those, some of those little corners have these like berms in them. It's just like so perfect, you know, after all the cars have gone through and they've just created these, you know, and so, man, that's, yeah. Unfortunately though, that is a main road that the farmers and, and, and ranchers and, and, the, you know, the people who live in that area use, even though there's a race going on, sometimes they're there. So you still got to keep your eyes peeled for, um, looking for that that glint of uh, a reflection off a windshield way ahead, or or something shiny, or or the dust, you know, little telltale signs that there's uh, traffic coming. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, you definitely have to leave something on the table in case you get surprised coming out of the corner. 
And, and I mean, <laughs> it, you have to, it's not, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's these things are being said because it's in some previous edition, things have happened. But at the same time, it's not like every single edition, every other corner, you got to worry about somebody being in there that is always there or whatever it is. It's just word for the wise, right? It's better to yeah. check up, I mean, you know. The problem is, is you can go through 100 corners and not have somebody surprise you coming head on. Um, but there can be that one. And then where's that one going to occur? You, you don't know. Um, there's lots of tricks to it. I'm just trying to you know, expounds what I, you know, experienced, you know, as far as how do you, how do you unload 50 years of Baja racing out of your head to somebody new is, is, yeah. is hard. Yeah. And, and a lot of the, the growing and like you said earlier, right, is seek out the people that have the experience and partner with them, talk to them, work with them. I mean, yeah. Um, the best way to, yeah, you know, I always think I think the best way for people to get involved if they don't uh, is is to help a t- another team or get on a on a on a on a, a sportsman team and having that team and to pull your knowledge and and having uh, people to bounce ideas off of and strategize with and all that it's just really fun anyway. So it's it's a good way to learn Baja yeah. and get used to it before you go out and challenge it. I mean, you know. I'm in a little bit of a dilemma when, you know, I'm trying to grow the sport. I'm trying to get the numbers up for the motorcycles, but at the same time, at what, it co- at what cost, I mean, there's new, there's people that, that, um, want to sign up for the Baja 1000 as an Ironman. And, you know, you can tell they really have no business being here. You know, they've mm-hmm. never raced anything in their life. Um, you know, it's like, ugh, you know, they want our advice. They want, you know, how, you know, what do I need to do forward? And it's like, ugh, I don't know. I hate to, I hate to promote this and have something really bad happen to this guy, you know? And so, but I want, you know, everyone, you know, ultimately it's their responsibility to know what they're getting into. Um, we're trying to educate them the best we can. And, um, you know, I try and steer them towards people that are really experienced and willing to help. And, um, one of these guys that happened to uh, last year, everyone's kind of like more like, wow, this guy shouldn't be here. But we, we, I vetted him on the phone. I got, other, I hooked him up with other people that are racing. Uh, he pre-ran with other people that were Ironmanning, and he had a successful race. And was and turned out he was a really uh, he's got a really huge following on social media, and it was really good. So, um, you know, I can't be too judgy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and so I mean, and that's you know, kind of a I, you know, uh, uh, in closing, right. Mm-hmm. It's very important, right? We know that the Baja 1000 is a bucket list item, and I think this is really important because it also carries into other races. But if you could just give me a quick rundown, like, okay, I want to Iron Man the 1000 a year from now, 2024. I want Iron Man the Baja 1000. We know it's going to be a loop race. Just what are some of the the key things that you maybe work on? Race everything I can. Uh, you know, the gym eight days a week, you know, what, 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 what would that look well, like to you? You think, first of all, um, you know, I just know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. It's not a walk in the park. It's, it's not as fun as it looks. Um, it is when you're trying to iron man, it is hard. It is hard miles. Every mile is, is a lot of it's really beat up, um, come race day. And, um, it's hard miles. I mean, uh, 
even as on in my own racing, there's probably has never been a Baja race that somewhere in the middle of it have I not thought to myself, why do I sign up for this stuff? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is killing me. You know, <laughs> but um, you know, you forget that as soon as it's, you know, the checkered flag waves, you're like, you know, oh, I can't wait for the next one. But um, first, it's really important to know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, second, if you're iron manning, it's there's two components to the iron manning is both physical and mental. So it's really not about trying to compete for the win overall. It's not about how fast you can go against the Honda 1X team or or the KTM 1X team. Um, It's about you and the desert and conquering the Baja probably as fast as you can do it, but because if you want to try and be competitive in your class, but assuming that, you know, anyway, any Ironman has to know that this, you have to pace yourself and so the most important thing is to get in shape. Um, and the, you know, a lot of these people that are doing this aren't young either. So um, you know, our stamina is our best at probably, if our long-distance stamina is probably best at early 40s, late 30s maybe. Um, and that's a, age, that's a common age for Ironman. So work on your stamina. Go down to Baja, ride Baja a lot so you're familiar with the terrain get your bike set up for that properly. Um, but mainly is to really understand what you're getting into and prepare for that. Mm -hmm. Good. So there's, you know, yeah, like I said, the mental aspect of it, the physical aspect of it, and, and just, it really revolves around being, being informed, you know? Yeah. Knowing all about nutrition, having, having, you know, enough funds to be able to, to, have proper support, um, do the proper training because physically it's going to be very demanding, obviously. Um, skill wise, probably not as important if you're riding a motor, if you can ride a motorcycle at all, you can probably do it. You know? Yeah. But, <laughs> we say that with know, caution. It's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm almost backtracking now that I said that, but, um, it's not as crucial uh, an intermediate rider could do it. Um, it's not as crucial um, to your skill level as it is to your conditioning and your mental toughness. Yeah, I feel I, I feel like there's going to be a section or a point in time along that journey that your brain is probably going to want to switch from from fight to flight and, or, or from flight to fight, whatever it is. You know, I, I feel like you're going to go into survival mode at some point. So I think that the maybe the checks and balances of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't done it in so long, um, as an Ironman that, uh, you know, it's easy for me to forget the, the pain of it. But, um, I do see these guys that are doing it nowadays that are, you know, they're, they're badass heroes to me. Um, you know, we, you know, unfortunate we lost, um, Yanni, but he was going so as an Ironman, his speed that he was going at the San Felipe 250 was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, his conditioning was amazing. Um, Brandon Wright, another one that's, uh, has my admiration, uh, just the, the tenacity and the speed these guys can go, uh, as Ironman is truly impressive. Yeah. But, um, a lot of the Ironman, I mean, there's a, there's an elite group that are, are that are out there to do really well and compete against each other and are fierce. And then there's a lot of people that are just, recognize that they're just trying to accomplish a finish and, um, you know, which, you know, 
that's great. You know, I understand that. Just make sure you get out of the way of the trophy trucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you know what? Uh, I think that that comes with uh, the situational awareness is just be aware of where you're at at all times. And once the first, you know, once the first truck comes, usually the trucks have spotters anyway, right? A lot of these, you know, the trophy trucks have a, a you, the lead truck, you know, is coming usually because you see the helicopters off in the distance first. Right. And shortly that doesn't work in the dark. Yeah. But then you see their headlights. I mean, you, well, you don't really see their headlights. All of a sudden you see <laughs> daylight your shadow and then your shadow <laughs> becomes like 20 versions of your shadow at different angles because they have so many lights. And it's, <laughs> it's one of the most horrifying things to ever witness. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it you know, shoots your heart rate up to 210, I swear. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I can imagine that part. Well, I no, I remember that part. I remember in the, in the 1600 days and, and the, the five sixteen hundred days when you'd pass a truck or a one car that was on the side of the road and then, you know, they got, <laughs> they got back on the road or a seven or an eight. Some of these guys that carry a ton of lights. Yeah. You're coming along but and then the, all, all of a sudden it turns daylight inside the cabin. <laughs> yeah. One thing I want to get out there before yeah. this is over, um, yeah. it's really important to understand, um, from the bike's point of view, People say, well, why don't they just get over? You know, it's not, sometimes it's not easy to get out of the track. These courses develop kind of a two track um, uh, condition. And on the edges of this two track, it could be lined with boulders, cactus, all kinds of things, silt, soft sand. It's not easy to transition from a, being in one of the lanes um, at speed, 30 miles, 40 miles an hour, and there's turn right you, you, it's not that easy you have to look for a spot and that's the traction because otherwise you know you could lose the front end and go down right in front of a trophy truck mm-hmm. and that's not good either so yeah. um it just everyone's got to be patient when it comes to, to that that interface between the bikes and the trucks yeah. and, and and i think it need, needs to be said and it, it, there's a lot of talk about it you know about you know trucks catching bikes trucks catching bikes but I think it's just like we were talking about earlier that, you know, people come in, you know, farmers, local traffic and that kind of thing. It's I don't think that it's something that happens so often, you know, that there's accidents and that there's all these things that happen. It's just because of the word and getting the word out and people like be considerate, understand where you're at, understand where your position is, understand where the lead trucks are. You have pit crew, you have people that can communicate that to you. It's like just be smart. It's not like there's an issue every single race and that there's an issue every single pass. It's just. Right. Uh, yeah, we may, it may sound like we're, we're overstating it, but because the consequences are so great when, when an incident does happen, um, you know, your potential loss of life. So it's, we've got to make sure everyone understands that and understands, you know, what it takes to, to recognize and not put yourself in a foolish position. You know, yeah. this, none of this is worth dying over. No. And so, yeah, you know, you could shave a half a second by blindly going through this, this corner. Maybe you could move further over to the full outside. We get a little further extended range of vision before you, you go flying across around that corner. You know, just there's little things that mitigate the danger, but um, it's always going to be there. Um, yeah, it's just I mean, everyone has their own. I guess their own buffer, their own line that they'll cross or not cross. Um, I've taken chances before. I, um, you know, I've always prided myself on on being really a safe racer. Hardly ever crashed um, during a race, and um, uh, and I've survived many, many years on it. But you know, then at the same time, um, uh, you know, 
I've been beat. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's part of the journey. Um, nice. Okay. Well, what, uh, in closing, what do we, uh, what are we looking for? I mean, we already know we got the 400 coming up in a few weeks. We've got the Baja 1000 after that. Uh, anything, any other news, anything going on? Um, yeah, like I said, I think that you're going to see, um, uh, I'm excited about the dialogues we've had about, uh, upcoming participation in, in, in larger efforts, in pro teams. Um, the, um, we've got a lot of exposure now, um, more than we had. And so now that the, the third, um, portion of my quest is working on, on, making the reward greater, uh, working on prize money for the 400. We've got some vendors that are um, stepped up and are kicking in. Um, I don't have anything in, uh, written in stone at this point to, to, to announce yet, but we're working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know for the thousand, there's some great uh, contingencies and, and prize money too. So I'm really lobbying now to try and uh, really make the prize money um, better for the pro moto classes. Um, what that does is if there's more prize money, I believe that more pros will, will come. And if there's more pros there, there's more media attention. There's more people that want to be part of Baja. So I, I think that's the next um, challenge for me is to work on, on, on developing larger pro purses for the pro moto classes. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, that will, you know, obviously it takes some of the rate, the, the financial burden off of the race team, you know, it puts a little bit, there's a little more on the line for them. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure. And obviously, I mean, the cost to run a motorcycle, uh, is, is not as great as, you know, the four wheel vehicle. So the money, you know, <laughs> money will go a little longer way. Right. But I don't know what it is about us motorcycle guys, but it seems like the faster we are, the less money we have. I don't know how it works that way. <laughs> Probably could be spent all our life racing instead of you know, running businesses or going to college. <laughs> you know, that could be the, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's, you know, there's not a, you know, we're not the big budget guys. I mean, yeah. um, there's not a lot of us that have a ton of money that, that race Baja and, but what's beauty is that, um, you know, they can go on multi-man teams, especially in the age group classes where you can still race against guys you grew up racing against and, and, share the expenses at one motorcycle and, and split every, all the costs of everything. And that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a, l- a little bit more reasonable than having to change, you know, $250 Heim joints, eight of them, <laughs> every single race. Right. <laughs> you know, you compare the cost. Um, <laughs> it's no comparison between the really, racing yeah. team. And I mean, I would like just to have the, the fuel budget for one race that a trophy truck spends. They probably for the thousand the trophy truck spends probably fifty thousand dollars just on fuel. Yeah. That's an entire, entire. season. <laughs> and a new bike for some people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's crazy. Well excellent. Andy, thank you very much. I'll let you get back to your day. I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on the show. You know, um, I appreciate it uh, talking to you as always. And, uh, anytime I can talk about Baja racing, you can tell I, I love it. And, um, I look forward to seeing everybody down there for the 400 and a thousand. Yeah, absolutely. And I, we, everybody that's uh, done motorcycles in Baja and is familiar with the score racing, appreciate what you're doing. And, and more so than anything is, is helping keep the moto guys safe. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, and you know, it's, it's my new hobby now to, to, to do this. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. Enjoy. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. I hope you guys uh, are having fun up there and I hope you're feeling better. Thank you. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Right. See ya. Bye. 
All right, so there you have it. That was Andy Kirker from Score International. I think it's really, really cool. So it's the second time. Actually, Andy and I have had a, a, a few really long conversations about just motos and the stuff that's going down there. And and everything is just positive and things are growing. So I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing how it is. You know, we're, him and I are talking and I'm like in my mind, I'm thinking like, OK, well, you know, how can I get down there? You know, I want to see, you know, actually go and spectate one of these races. You know, I've, I've been down there so many years uh, racing and, and going down and always in support uh, that it's. I kind of almost forgot what it's like to go and just go watch a race and hang out and, you know, go with a group of people and wake up super early. I mean, I, I'll never I'll never forget that in in going down to one of these races and just hearing the motos so early in the day, you know, here comes the first bike, here comes the first bike, you know, or here comes the first truck back then, you know, or, or depending on what, you know, what time it was. But it's something that definitely is a really, really cool experience. And especially if you could get down onto the coast side, you know, yeah, it gets a little bit cooler in the evenings and, but you wake up and that sea air and everything is just wet. And from the, from the breeze or whatever came in overnight, you know, the, the marine layer, the smells, the sounds, the sights, the hanging with friends, all of this thing. So, you know, if at some point you want to race one of these races that, it could be something that, you know, come over and spectate, come over and watch, go to the contingency, go to uh, the technical inspection, check it out, go and and then and then go camp, you know, go find a place outside of town. I mean, my recommendation is the coast, but there's uh, there's places that you can go and see and and just experience what it is and, and what these guys go through. Uh, it, you'll you'll get to see it. You don't need to be on a bike. Obviously, the best way to do it is on a bike, but. If you're moto camping, if you got adventure bikes and you want to do that, you can definitely moto camp somewhere uh, off of the off the back off the back of the bike. Uh, or I haven't heard the term in a little bit, but as the guys over from uh, Moscow Moto, Pete and them uh, came up with Pete Wade, all those guys, uh, brap packing. They have a whole series, a whole thing that they're doing on that. So if you guys haven't seen that, check it out. Uh, so brap packing for, with uh, Moscow Moto, and then. Uh, we talked about it earlier. I didn't want to interrupt Andy, but he did mention it in San Felipe talking about the zoo road thing. If you want to spend some time on YouTube and check out and find out a little bit more about the San Felipe 250 and that race, uh, go to YouTube and search zoo road and zoo road, trophy truck, zoo road, motorcycle. And you're going to be there a while. You're going to get to see some things. You're going to get to see how wild and crazy Baja can be. Uh, you're going to get to see some other videos because of what you're watching there. You're going to get to see some of the other Baja videos and the terrain. You can see what, you know, why the trophy trucks command respect and why they are the vehicles that they are and what they're capable of. You can see the terrain that the motorcycles have to suffer through and, and work through a moto finish. And some races there's a there. I think that there's like the, Oh, well you trail rode it. Of course you finished. Finishing a Baja race is by any means, like no matter what, which way you want to slice it, finishing a Baja race is crazy. It takes talent. It takes planning. It takes patience. It takes perseverance. It takes all of that. And I say that because I know and I'm familiar with the terrain and it is difficult. It can be very, very difficult. Like we've talked a couple of times now, Baja is patient. Baja is waiting. Baja can be very dangerous. You just need to have your head about you. You just need to work on, on you. And what do you do? What do you do when your brain switches into survival mode? You know, are you ready for that? You know, what are you, what are you going to do? What's the, 
Like there's a lot to it. You don't even need to be racing to be doing that. You could be pushing yourself two, 300 miles, you know, in a day wanting to ride, wanting to get to a certain spot, you know, and, and at some point you may switch into that. My hands hurt, my legs hurt. I'm done. I want to stop. I'm not going to stop. What am I going to do next? You know, so I don't know if it's a bit dramatic or not, but you know what? There's nothing like riding in Baja. Uh, as a friend of mine has on Instagram, it is better in Baja. We agree. So anyway, with that being said, guys, remember, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and, of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up, and don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week. Bye.